0: Listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Chapter 23 Unspeakable Power Camelot Early Sunday Morning The princess's voice echoed out through the remnants of archways and the overgrown halls. Taking a lamp, she proceeded shakily to Merlane's hut, but nobody was home. Embers burned in the grate, but the owl had gone from its perch. They fumbled through the ruin, chasing noises, but always coming across more forgotten pathways, until they stepped through the final atrium and found themselves, once again, and inexorably so, standing before the steps of the sword. At the top of them, Merlaine lay crumpled, her eyes closed. Gwen rushed forward.
1: Oh no, Merlane!
0: The old woman awoke with a start.
1: Blast it. I ain't dead yet. What do you want?
2: Oh. Oh, Merlin. Nanny Hen. Get off me, girl. My bones are made of dry old clay. You'll crush me. What were you doing? Sleeping. Or trying to.
0: She never even finished the bedtime story. The nag stirred within the shadows and his black eyes glowered in the lamplight as he stepped forward.
2: Why are you sleeping here? I told you. My place is with the sword. You really don't listen much, do you, Missy? We don't have any time. How do I explain
1: this? Robin and his gang have been captured. They're to be executed at eight bells, and it's nearly dawn now. We need to rescue them, and you're the most powerful and wise person I know. Where are they being held? The Tower of London. Can't be done.
0: Gwen's face fell.
1: No...
2: No, you must help us. You have powers, you can- You could have spent the last few hours sneaking in with disguises. What can I do for you, aside from shield you from flame? You could. You know why you're back, and it's not for me.
1: No, it really is for you. You want one more go at pulling the sword. The sword? No, it doesn't work. I tried it three times, twice with Robin's help. It doesn't-
2: It doesn't want me. Has your manner of thinking changed since last we met? That often helps with these binding spells.
1: My manner of thinking has changed insofar as I don't want the bloody thing either.
2: Do you want to know what these symbols really mean? I haven't got any more time. Robin's- The ones on the blade say might is tyranny without wisdom. I didn't come up with that. Whoever made the sword did, but it's rather appropriate. Now, the inscription on the stone itself is rather more complex. You see... I don't care. Don't you hear me? My father is going to
1: keep crushing down on that city, and that country, and everywhere else our people go. Now, he's a wise man, but he's also tyrannical. So I'm sorry, but whoever carved these runes into this sword was talking absolute bollocks!
0: As she said this, she pulled at the hilt angrily. The blade came out of the stone, and everyone stepped back, aghast. Gwen regarded the sword, hefting it in her hand. Oh! There was a blinding flash, and Gwendolyn's arm shot skyward, holding the blade aloft as lightning clattered down around them. Her hair and coat whipped about in the sudden, shocking hurricane. Her blue eyes shone, a new and titanic strength rippled through her form as ancient knowledge passed from the orb into her mind. Merlaine stood before her, voice booming over the thunder and the unseen choir that were chanting for the return of a demigoddess.
2: They that seek true power shall never hold me. They that understand it, I shall hold them.
0: The nag reared up behind Gwendolyn, shaking his mane, which became pure white as two immense feathered wings unfurled from his flanks, and a long, sharp golden horn sprouted from his forehead. Gwendolyn lowered the sword as the thunder rolled back. The wind subsided and the light reduced to a twinkling, pearlescent glow from somewhere just above her.
1: Holy mother of God, that was... was that... was... you?
0: She pointed to Merlaine, then to the nag, then promptly dropped the sword with a clang and the lights went out. Gwen staggered forward, suddenly weakened. The nag remained in his winged form.
2: Whoa there, young lady. Pick that thing back up.
0: Gwen groped around, found the blade glowing in the darkness, its runes flickering with golden fire. The moment her fingers touched the metal, her strength began to flood back, and as she gripped the hilt again, the light reappeared.
3: Oh, wow, Gwen. You... you look a little bit... amazing. I'd follow you into battle.
1: So, can anyone have that power if they grab the sword now? Say, if she were to... Drop it, and maybe get kicked in the face? You dare even think that!
2: Would you like me to bite her whole head off, Gwen?
1: I'm joking. Good lord, you people have no sense of humor.
2: And what about the nag here? Is he drawing this new form from the sword? Nay. A long time ago, this one's name was Nightwind.
0: You heard the girl. We haven't time to discuss exactly how I came to choose this form, but I have agreed to help you
2: today. Help you a smidgen. I'm only carrying her.
1: Well, let's go now. Hold on. Don't you want to know what you can do? Time! Preparation! Fine. I feel very strong. Like, ludicrously powerful. Like I could jump a mile in the air. You can.
2: Oh. Ooh. Go on. Get it over with.
0: Gwendolyn crouched low then erupted upwards, sailing high into the dawn sky. The air shot past her and the world fell away. Her view adjusted and she beheld the cresting sunlight illuminating this expanse of wilderness. Far ahead of her, she saw other forests just as dark and mysterious as the one beneath. And behind them, high mountains, little rivers and nestled villages of people just waking up to see a shining red speck Ascending towards the heavens. It was everything she had hoped for, and more. A wild and dangerous land. Human eyes had rarely, if ever, taken in so much at once. She was suddenly aware of the cold. It was cold on the ground, but windy up here, and so quiet. The rushing feeling as she was propelled upwards made her heart float as she reached the apex of her jump, and she inhaled deeply. (laughs) <laughs> then she began to fall, panicking as she was propelled downwards far faster. Oh, oh no! Did this strength make her invulnerable too? Why would Merlane tell her to jump if, too late, the ground was hurtling towards her and she curled up and braced her legs? Oh no. She impacted in the centre of what had once been a specialised gathering hall for knights to show off their new, colourful and finely enamelled armour. The catwalk had long since rotted away and it was into this area that the crater around Gwendolyn was created. The others rushed in from one of the doorways. Gwendolyn's legs hurt, about as much as you or I might feel after walking halfway down the stairs and then jumping the rest of the way. She had that same lingering sense of, shouldn't have done that, which we get in the aftermath. Usually our brains telling us how to survive longer whilst conducting physical checks.
3: Were all the lands laid out like an embroidered blanket?
0: Gwendolyn beamed at her.
3: They were. Nobody but you can access that
2: power by holding the sword. But they can take the sword itself from you. As long as you hold it, you're strong and fast and to a degree very hard to hurt. But underneath, you're still human. You can still get tired. Watch yourself, girl. (sighs) I will. Nag? Uh,
1: Nightwind? Nag. Nag.
0: She gazed at this proud, beautiful, yet still slightly disgusting, steed. He was more magnificent than the unicorns she had seen in picture books, yet his eyes still had that canny, defiant quality that separated him from everyday horses. He was actually rather frightening to stand beside. Anyone who has gotten close to a horse can tell you of their musculature and strength and how intimidating it is to sit high up on their backs for the first time. Now add a very pointy, erratically moving horn and enormous, powerful wings. Recall, if you will, that old adage about a swan being able to break a man's arm and fathom how much bigger than a swan this creature actually was. Then add to that fear of falling a height of ten, twenty, a hundred times that distance, and the speed that this thing could achieve. Even as an experienced horse rider who just received a limited invulnerability, Gwen's knees were shaking at the prospect of mounting him.
1: May I climb aboard you and fly? We haven't much time at all now.
0: Get on. Put your legs behind my wings. Sorry. Ow! No! There there isn't a saddle. What part of behind did you not understand? Uh,
1: Sorry again. And
0: by thunder, you're heavy. Can you take
1: me?
2: Yes, it's just... been a while. Go, Gwen! We'll follow and try to get there in time. Keep hold of that sword. It's part of you now. Until the day you die. I can still die. Damn right you can. Arthur died, just as sure as every mortal will. Then I'll try not to die.
0: Nightwind beat his enormous wings and rose up. Gwen's whole body leapt to attention and she clung to his neck, wrapping his mane in her free hand and gripping with her strong thighs. They pulled away from Camelot and soared out over the forest and the plains beyond, the winding road they had come so far below now. Gwen could not help herself. She cried out in absolute joy as the thrill of flight coursed through her. The Black Pegasus Unicorn said nothing, but she felt him go faster, spurred on by her enthusiasm. They swooped low, hurtling towards the road, and as the Border Guards dived for cover, threaded through and into London, where Night Wind again took to the air and flew high over the buildings, dodging spires and sailing over the rooftops. The Londoners, just emerging from their homes, caught sight of this strange pair orbiting their skyline. Many had been granted the morning off work to attend the wedding and were filing across to the tower to watch the executions first. Gwendolyn's golden hair was recognized, as was her face as it rushed by. The word went out that Lady Catherine was back on a winged unicorn. But to what purpose?
3: Robin stepped out into the dawn light, a few minutes before eight bells. He screwed up his fists, gritted his teeth, and thanked fair fortune that his captors had allowed him to retain his green coat. For their part, it was not an act of kindness. His dangling outlaw form, so very recognisable, would make a clear statement that the reign of the Hoods was over. But for his part, it shielded him from the morning chill, which would only exacerbate the tremors of fear coursing through his whole body that he was fighting to control every second. They had even permitted him his boots back, though they had been thoroughly checked and had the lockpicks and concealed blade removed. All the better for him to shortly fill this same footwear with effluent That was, of course, the most undignified aspect of this whole process, the voiding of one's bowels at the frenzied and terrified moment of death. Robin grimaced to himself and tried, tried so very hard to smile defiantly in a manner the hundreds of onlookers who were now coming into view around the base of the scaffold he was climbing might find noble, prepared to die for what he believed in even beatific he looked down at the upturned faces in some eyes he saw hate jeering assurance that this wrongdoer was getting his just desserts in others he saw curiosity they just wanted to say they saw Robin Hood die he was still so afraid this was all wrong he was sorry he would make amends He really hadn't hurt anyone who didn't roundly deserve it, had he? A flash of anger hit him. Nobody knew about his fire casting. He could hurl himself from the scaffold, a burning ball of retribution for the Gorkas in the front row. No, no. He resolved to simply try his best, to shit hard in their direction as he swung. Scarlet and the rest of the hoods began to be let out behind him. The magnitude of this finally hit him hard. Were he simply a lonely man about to die, that would be bad enough. But to die with all of one's friends gathered together, and dying as well, for people to see... And considering the hope and well-meaning nature of the crimes these people had committed. This. This was an appalling shame. He had lost this game. And the good people of London would suffer far worse for it. There was anger in the crowd now. People were pushing, protesting, trying to get out... Crying out for the freedom of the prisoners, Robin saw the lines of watchmen assembled and imagined the flaming bloodbath that would occur if they came into ferocious contact with these unarmed Londoners. He thought about shouting out something inspirational, but he could not trust his voice to remain strong and not quail mid-cry. Scarlet took the position next to him and they exchanged final glances of solidarity. Her head was held high, even though the jeering became unbearably raucous at the sight of this uppity acker. But some had recognized her. Hands were over mouths and upon hearts. Scarlet would say nothing, so Robin must. This was his only chance. All of a sudden, he was yelling out to all that could listen. Find...
0: Other heroes.
3: As he uttered those words, and in execution his elbow collided with his gut, knocking the wind from him, he saw, in a way that stilled his heart, for what would surely be the second to last time, the traces of tears out there. There really were people crying. Those soon to die would be missed. They were valued... He had achieved something in this muddled, violent, flawed, and semi-fictionalized existence. That surely was the truth he needed. The reassurance. He thought of Gwendolyn very soon beginning her new life. His last hope was that this wouldn't be half as bad as she had feared.
0: Just let her be happy happy enough
3: he prayed he was ready no he wasn't ready but it would have to do the hangman hefted the noose to place around his neck in the great courtyard of the Tower of London at one minute to eight bells Robin Hood Looked up into the cold, clear sky from his place atop the gallows. And he saw a rapidly approaching winged horse with what appeared to be a Valkyrie riding atop it. Her hair was virtually a flame in sunlight, a sword brandished in her hand. He realized it was Gwendolyn around the moment that she bodily leapt from the horse in midair and dived in his direction. He also saw her look of sudden horror, as she discovered she could not steer herself much in mid-air.
0: What are you doing?
3: Improvising, oh shit! Oh,
0: perfect!
3: She hit the scaffold like a chunk of masonry fired from the largest siege catapult in the world. Devastating the hard work of all those London craftsmen. Sending prisoners, executioners, onlookers, watchmen, wood... And curses fly.
0: You have been listening to The Princess Thieves, written, produced, directed, and edited by Alexander Shaw, with a full cast. Princess Gwendolyn, performed by Theo Lee, Merlane, performed by Maureen Foley. Mortimer, performed by Sharon Shaw, Oberon, performed by Matt Wardle, Viola, performed by Loretta Saylor, The Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb, Robin, performed by Alexander Shaw. The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. The Phoenix was performed by Mattia Cupelli. Olympus was performed by Ross Bugden, uh, both of these composers have YouTube channels which you need to go and subscribe to now. They do amazing work. And Angiven was composed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, one of the most generous creators on the internet. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio and ASMR Rooms. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron LeCluze, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington Angus Lee Benjamin Hoffer Brian Novak Cassandra Newman Chris Finnick Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler Connor Kennedy Dan Mayer Daniel Salguero Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman David Sheely Finbar Nicole Frankie Punsy, Greg Downing Jameis Enright Jesse Ferguson Joe Crow Joel Robinson Johan Clayson, Joe G., Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Hellazhario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. And I am starting back up with a website for New Century. I stalled last year because of my arm injury, but I'm going to go in again and effectively create a front end for the books and audio dramas, a marketplace if you will, just something that explains the world for newcomers. If you go to Terry Pratchett's Discworld website, it's something very much like that. This will be in conjunction with a wiki for the fans, so that we can start cataloging the various names, events, dates and places of this massive story. That's going to take more time than I'm able to give on my own whilst writing and producing an episode a week of this and doing School of Movies, so if that sounds like your thing and you'd like to be part of a small writing and curating team for the wiki, or if you'd like to help me with the website, then let me know.